This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now. Amen. You can be seated. What a great reminder today as we uh, look at Psalm chapter 19, just the importance of understanding the goodness and the greatness of God and how God is glorified and how his nature is revealed uh, in scripture. Today we are in need of clear voices. I think it's true that we would say in our day and time that uh, oftentimes unclear voices or voices that seem to be changing uh, often bring confusion and they don't really address and move us forward oftentimes, but allow us oftentimes to linger with uncertainty. This is true, I think, in many areas, and we've seen it with the pandemic and other areas and uh, with uh, recent political unrest and uh, lawlessness oftentimes in many communities. We're looking for clear voices, voices that speak, that speak truth and speak clearly. So we're going to look today, as we're looking at these different psalms throughout the summer, at a psalm written by David that really does talk about God speaking and the clarity with which God speaks and the necessity of listening and hearing the clarity of the voice and the word of God. So the big idea that we're going to look at today is seen in this statement, that the glory of God is displayed in creation and more completely revealed in the Word of God in order to transform our lives in order to reflect the glory of God or to reflect His glory. Now you'll see a statement that we put on uh, the bulletin, you'll see it on our website, we refer to it quite often, and that is, as a church, our purpose and the reason that we exist as believers is to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples. And the importance of that is seen in this understanding of the glory of God, which we're going to focus on today. There's a verse in Isaiah chapter 43 and in verse 7 that says, Everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory, I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. So according to that verse and according to our statement of purpose as a church, we exist for a purpose, and that is the glorification of God. And there is a way then that as we exist in this matter of glorifying God, then how does that, what does that look like? How is that lived out? And do we really understand this term, the glory of God? It's a word that we use a lot of times and we make reference to it. But I think it's important as we look at this passage today that we understand what we mean by the glory of God. And it is so necessary, according to that verse in Isaiah, that it was the reason that God formed us. In fact, that verse has been used in many a, a statement of faith made by a denomination or by a, a Christian group seeking to clarify this is what we believe about the Bible. And oftentimes the phrase is used, we were created for God's purpose, to glorify God and to bring him pleasure. That the chief end of man, the Westminster Confession says, is to glorify God and to bring him pleasure. So if that's our chief purpose, our chief end, it would be important for us to understand what it means to glorify God, what it means when we talk about the glory of God 
and how that is that that's reflected in our lives. So I want to give you a definition. If you look here, you see that the definition of glory, this Hebrew word habod, has the idea to display light, to be heavy in terms of wealth or riches, or to show the praise due a person. So it has the idea of displaying light in the sense that when the glory of God was displayed on the, the Mount of Transfiguration, when the glory of God was displayed to Moses in a bush and later as he would ascend to the mountain, there's this idea that the glory of God, that God is so pure, that he is of such clarity that literally to be in his presence, there is a radiance of pure light that's coming from him. And so that's often described as the glory of God. But also the word actually means to be heavy, the heaviness of God. And that that means that something was of value. If something was heavy, it was of value. The last time I went to the doctor, apparently I'm of great value. But anyway, um, I want to display this in an illustration. So I have two bowls here. They both have a very similar purpose. They would hold liquid. They would allow us to be able to eat from this or maybe even to drink something from this. And uh, they could contain probably about the same amount of material but yet when you look at these two bowls and I were to ask you, which of these bowls is of greater value, which would you say? If I took your mask and blindfolded you and said, here are two things I'm going to put in your hand. Tell me which is of greater value. You would immediately say, well, this is because it's heavier. It's weightier. And obviously when we look at it, we see also a, a clarity and a, a glistening, a radiance that's coming from the light reflecting on this bowl versus this one. And we would immediately know that the, that the cut crystal, and because of its weight and because of its clarity, is of greater value than this bowl that's made of a mere plastic or made of uh, even a, a mere wood, if that would be the case. So the Hebrew writers use this word chobod to talk about the weightiness of God. That God was of such great value, that he was priceless, that he was beyond any kind of attribute that we could even begin to ascribe to him. That when we talk about the glory of God, that he is radiant and he is of such value and he is such great otherness that it was called the glory of God. But also the writers also use it in the sense of showing praise due a person. Because God is of such great value, because he is so separate and so pure, that our only reaction to who he is is to express glory to him, to express that value in worship and in praise and giving our lives to him. So when we say as a church, we exist to glorify God, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about that there is a necessity of us as individuals. There's a necessity of us as a church to proclaim the value and the glory and the uh, unending uh, value of who God is and the reason that people should know him and know his name and that we should make his name famous. It's important, I think, for us as a church to be reminded of our purpose. We know in our day and time that we're being reminded in many places of why do we exist? Why are we here? 
Uh, why do we function as a church? Is it just for someone to stay at home and to watch a video? Or is there a larger purpose than just watching someone who's preaching? Is there a larger purpose to the body of Christ? Is there a larger purpose to what God has called me to be? Did God form me for a reason and put me in a local congregation? And what is my purpose to live out the reason for which God created me? And scripture is clear. That our lives are to find our purpose and we are to better understand our world and there is an importance in us sharing the glory of Christ and allowing him to transform us. So how does the psalmist express this idea of God speaking through his glory? Well, first of all, notice in verse, verses 1 through 6 here these statements. The God exists, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech, night after night they communicate knowledge. That their message has gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the ends of the world, verse 4, and in verse 6, it rises from one end of the heavens, it circles to the other end, and nothing, nothing is hidden from its heat. So the psalmist is clear that the universe itself, whether it is the sunrise and the, the glory that is revealed in creation in the day and the beauty of creation at night, that there is a speaking. Notice what he says, it expands, proclaims the work of his hands. It's communicating knowledge that his words are going to the ends of the, the earth. That the universe is speaking of the testimony of God's work and the knowledge of him is for all people in all places at all times. When I was a child, we used to go every summer for one week to the Rocky Mountains. And I look forward to that every year. My dad was a, a, a builder, a carpenter, and so once a, once a year he would shut his business down and we would go camping in the Rocky Mountains. And I have great memories of that as we would uh, go to the, the national parks and we would go up these peaks and we would walk alongside of these rivers and you would oftentimes get to a, a height of a peak and look out and you would just see mountain after mountain and these beautiful valleys that were there. And you would just see this beauty in creation. And for me, even as a child, <clears throat> the question was never about God's existence. I could see from creation that he existed. The question for me always was, is, is he, if he exists, has he spoken? And if he's spoken, what has he said? But the Bible is clear that there is a communication of God in creation. That we can know that he lives. We can know that he exists because we look at all of that and we say, how can there be such order? How can the universe be so intricate and there not be a God that exists <clears throat> and there not be a God who is kind? When you think about this idea of morality as an as a illustration, we, we realize that there is an idea of right and wrong that exists in every culture. <clears throat> it doesn't matter. Uh, where you go, uh, every culture has some idea of right and wrong. And in all people, in all places, murder is always wrong. Stealing is always wrong. Adultery is always wrong. There's a certain core principles that are always true for all people in all places at all times. And where does that come from? 
It just can't come from nothing. It can't come from chemicals. That idea of of morality means that there had to be a great moral giver, a great moral uh, creator that somehow created this world. And there are certain things that we just know from the simplicity of reason that exist, and they point to something greater or point to someone greater and this psalm is clear that the heavens are speaking and declaring the glory of God. Now, in theological terms, when we refer to this, we often talk about it in two ways. One is general revelation, and that is the revealing of God from nature through a right sense, for a sense of right and wrong. And we know that God exists, and we know something of his character and of his moral law. But we have to also then go, as the psalmist goes in the next section, to special revelation. And that is that God's word is addressed to a specific people for the purpose of revealing himself and revealing the story of redemption or the gospel and his justice and his word. When I made the statement earlier that the issue for me was never that does God exist, I can see that he exists the issue is, has God spoken? And if he's spoken, what has he said? And Hebrews 1 says that God spoke through Moses and through the prophets and ultimately through Jesus Christ, and he continues to speak through his word. So let's pick up in verse 7. For God says the creation speaks and has not limited his creation. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. And the command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. For they are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from the honeycomb. Now, if you notice in those verses in 7, 8, 9, and 10, he uses these different words, instruction, the testimony, the precepts, the command, the fear, the ordinances. And he uses at least six synonyms that are referring to the word of God, that God is revealing who he is. He's revealing something about his nature and his will and his desire, that God never leaves us to wonder who he is, but he has revealed that in his word. And when we search his word and we search it as if we are searching for the very sustenance of our life, that there we find what it is we're looking for. Notice the outcome of this. The Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The Lord is right, making the heart glad. The Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable. They are altogether righteous. So as we come to understand who God is, and we understand more of what it is that he has said in his word, there's a benefit to that when we invest time in that place. We know that we are separated from God and broken from God and that there is a sense of brokenness in all of us, but that restoration can come when we come to know Christ and as he desires to then transform us, 
That transformation process happens as we're in his word, and you see it in all of these places. We need renewal in our lives. We need to know uh, this sense of, of, of rightness and how it is that I, where it is I should invest my life. We want to understand and experience the joy of God. And we want to know and see these truths endure, not just for an hour, not just for a day, but endure for a lifetime. And the psalmist would tell us to find that satisfaction, to find that answers for those things in your life, that the place you must go is God's word. And it is here. And he communicates and he shows himself in his glory in those place, in this place. Because God word, God's word transforms us and it brings joy, brings righteousness, brings reward. It brings authentic faith. It brings satisfaction. And he's telling us that these things are there and the sweetness of them is of great desire. He says, the sweeter than honey dripping from the honeycomb. See, the, the glory of God when it's revealed in our lives and as God's word shows us, he wants to begin to change us because we, we see that God exists. We then believe in him and trust in him and realize our, our brokenness and separation from him. But there then comes a point where we have to say, now what? What's, what was the purpose, God? Why did you change me? Why did you do all of this? And for what purpose am I to give myself to these things? How can I reflect your glory in my life? Because God transforms our beliefs. He transforms our values. But God ultimately wants to transform our behaviors as well. Notice what he says here. In addition, verse 11, your servant is warned by them. And in keeping with them, there is an abundant reward. Now, my mom used to have a phrase, <clears throat> and it was something like this. I'm going to give you your just reward. That typically was said with a tone. It was usually included my first name and my middle name before it was done. And it generally involved some kind of object as well that she was about ready to use to help me understand that what I had just done, I was about ready to catch my just reward for that very thing. And we oftentimes think about the actions that we do. And he's going to talk about this in terms of our brokenness and our sin in a minute. You know, he looks at this idea that God is revealing our rebellion. He's revealing our brokenness through his word. But when we see that, there has to be a change. And oftentimes we think about consequences of action. Well, the reason this happened is because of what you did or because of what you said or because of the way that you uh, carried yourself. And so we receive the consequence of those rewards. But the Bible also talks about consequences, not just in the negative sense, but in the positive sense as well. Because when we do the right thing, when we say the right thing, when we uh, carry ourselves in a way that encourages others, there's a reward for that as well. The reward of relationships, the reward of, of knowing that others are, are encouraging us and that we're encouraging them. And we know that we don't have to, have to worry about someone discovering what we said or what we did or um, someone discovering that thing that I did that no one else saw. Because when we give ourselves to the things of God, when we give ourselves to the things that God encourages us to, then we find the reward in that as well. 
I love that in Scripture, every time that God says, put this away, God always says, put this on. Put away lying, but speak the truth. Put away anger, but show love. And so there's always an exchange, and an exchange of putting one thing off and putting something else on. And he says here, in addition, your servant is warned by them. In keeping with them, there is abundant reward. So the glory of God is revealed in creation. It's revealed in his word, but also the glory of God is intended to be revealed in our lives as well. Notice verses 12 and 13. For who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins and do not let them rule me. Now the psalmist is now moving to issues of the heart. That there are unintentional things that sometimes we do. We, we've done them. We didn't think through what was going to happen, but it was truly unintentional. There was an unintentional consequence to something that we did. It's sin, and it's something that we need forgiveness for. But also it's true that there are sins in our life that are fully known, that are fully willful, and we say, I know what I ought to do, but this is what I'm going to do. This is what I feel like doing. This is what I uh, know I should do, and we know that that action is clearly in contradiction to God's word. And the psalmist says, be careful, do not let them rule you. Now, when we work through these things and begin to say, okay, God, how do I change? How is it that you want to transform me? There's a verse in Scripture. It's not on the screen, but I want, you to, I want you to look at it with me. If you would, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and look in verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and look in verse 18. For we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of God and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The passage is referring to Moses as Moses uh, was descending the mountain. He had been in the presence of God. He had been uh, in the, the very radiance of the glory of God. And as he descended the mountain with the Ten Commandments, there was a radiance that was coming from him, a glow that was coming from him that literally had changed the way that he looked. And it says that the Israelites literally placed a veil over him until that glory had, had begun to dissipate, until it had begun to gone away because they couldn't even look upon that glory. And Paul uses that story and uses that phrase and he says here that there is a transformation in our lives that's almost as if we're looking at a mirror. And then when we see that mirror, that we see the radiance of God, we see the glory of God, and then in Christ we have been changed, we have been transformed. And as we look at that mirror, we realize there is something that needs to change. Some of us may look in the mirror and it looks like later we didn't even have an idea what it was that we looked at, nor did we make any changes. 
But the idea is that I see that and out of that reflection of God's glory, I realize there's a transform, transformation and there's a change that has to happen in me. And he describes it as being changed from glory to a greater glory. That we reflect the glory of God in salvation. But God is not content for us merely to do that. That there is an ongoing transformation in our lives. There's a transformation from glory to greater glory. There's a transformation where we're looking and reflecting more and more the character of God. And as we read his word and we see these intentional, unintentional sins, we are then changing our behaviors because we see them and we no longer believe that they are the way that we should behave, but this is new. This is something we value, and I must change. And then God begins to transform our behaviors then as well. Notice the last verses in this passage. He says, then I will be blameless and cleansed from my blatant rebellion. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you Lord, my rock and my redeemer. See, the truth is that when God begins to change us, he transforms the way we speak and the things we say. When God begins to transform us, he changes the issues of the heart. And those issues of the heart, when they're changed, begin to look like we're living in a different way. Because God begins to reveal himself through his word, and we see the need to change our thinking and we gain the knowledge that change and is necessary. And we begin to change our behaviors. And then we reflect the glory of God and the image of Christ. So how do you look at the things around you? Do you enjoy your Bible like you would enjoy the refreshing walk in nature that renews you and allow God to speak to you not just through his creation but allow you to speak to your word and refresh your soul? Are you allowing God to allow you to look in a mirror and see the things that he desires to change and see the things that he change in you and allow those things to change in you? See, God's not interested in you just merely managing your sin He's interesting in transforming you. Walking no longer in the presence of that, but walking in the reflection and the glory of him. These words remind us that our purpose is to glorify God and to bring pleasure to him as we live out the reason for which he created us, the reason he created us in his image and to reflect the image of Christ. But the place that has to start is with the gospel. Because the Bible is clear that apart from the transformation of understanding our brokenness, understanding that Christ came to pay the price for those sin, understanding that we must transfer our trust from transferring in ourselves to transfer that trust to believing in Jesus alone and in his resurrection. And then that's when the transformation process begins as we place our faith in him. But what we need to remember and what the psalmist reminds us of is that that beginning faith that saves us is also the faith that sustains us. That it is a transformation process along the way. 
that as we are in that new position, that God is in the business of renewing us, transforming us, and changing us always so as we look at that mirror, we see his glory and we work to be a better reflection of his character, of his nature, and of his heart as he transforms our hearts and he transforms the things we value and he transforms the way we live out our faith before others and in reflection to him. What a great reminder that our lives are to be a reflection of his glory. Let's pray. God, thank you for the reminder today from your word. God, that you are revealing yourself and that you are speaking. And God, we uh, worship in the glory of you as you reveal yourself in creation. But God, we, in greater ways, glory and worship in you as you speak to us in your word and you convict us, you change us, you transform us as we live out lives that would glorify you. God, you've called us to invest in others to make disciples. You've called us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. God, you've called us to make your name famous and to meet the needs of those with whom we come in contact. God, may this week you work in our lives that we would in greater ways glorify you and reflect your image and proclaim the hope of Christ to those who need to hear the message of Christ. We ask this name in the faithful one, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, thank you for being here. Let me just say a couple things. One, uh, if you used a Bible in the pew, thank you for doing that. They're there for your use. But if you would, just leave that Bible laying there so that we can uh, wipe that off and just make sure we're following all of the, of the uh, precautions that we want to take. Um, also, as you leave today, just uh, uh, the ushers will dismiss you. If you can just kind of dismiss and we'll be out back to, to visit with you. If you'd like to talk some more, I'd love to meet you and share uh, with you. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Maybe you live outside our area. 
I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.